Hello. It's been Hello. Such a long time. Hi. I know. I missed you so much. Wow. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, it's great to be here. Yep. Right topic today is welcome, Mary. Welcome, Victoria. Dawit. Hello, Victoria. Hello, Mary. Do it. So the link today has more. So our guest speaker made this link and in one folder, there are all the papers that everyone can download. Um, and then, and then there's the link to the PowerPoint pre presentation. So hello and welcome. Here's our guest. Hi. Hello, will you please tell us how to properly pronounce your name? Yeah, hi, uh, my name is Yue Chen Liu. Nice to meet you. Yue Chen, I'm Victoria. Yeah, thank you. Nice hi. to meet you. Yeah. Hi, Yue Chen. I'm sorry. Hi. Yeah. hi. Actually, it takes me some time to familiar, get familiar with this, how to use this clubhouse. This is first time I give a presentation on this platform yeah welcome thank you for you know doing that to come here we really appreciate it yeah it, it's it's a great opportunity that shall work to a broader audience that's from different fields i'm very glad to have this opportunity thank you for the invitation yeah and this is such an amazing topic I don't know. I'm from Portugal, so I know it's not on Portuguese people, <laughs> but you know, we have kind of uh, also a tradition of seafarers, but yeah. not the first one. So <laughs> I also think it's such an interesting topic. Um, in in it, so I'll be very interested in in you know what we can, what you found in terms of the DNA differences and mm -hmm. these populations and uh, yeah, yeah, very fascinating. We're so happy that I will just tell you that we've been we've been already discussing the possibilities of what we might learn from you because it is it's it's an adventurous topic and and it makes um you know you just imagine what what people were doing and what it was like and it's it's like a really great story is about to unfold so mm -hmm. we're super excited yeah actually when we first conduct this study we, we do not know that the area that we study in this in this paper is very i mean the publisher history there is very complex so it's it's so it's amazing when we uh yeah get some results and give our interpretation and yeah and when we talk to our findings to the local communities and they are also very i mean surprised by by our findings i hope to talk today will i mean will bring more audience to get interested in our work and in our field yes
Uh, we will um, wait a few more minutes. Welcome, everyone. Um, thank you for coming. And in the meantime, if you want to check out the link, in the link there should be a folder where you can check out all the papers. And then there's also the link for the presentation for today. So, um, yeah, thank you for coming. And in the meantime, I'm sharing the room everywhere. So, um, yeah, we'll start in around five minutes. I'm just looking through the slides now. The slides are gorgeous. It's hard not to just launch into questions. <laughs> Yes, slides are gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> I hope everyone has access. Yeah, I I also think they're really beautiful. Thank you for making such a wonderful presentation. <laughs> How was your day today in general? Good? Yeah, uh, yes, the, the weather in Boston today is, it became, I mean, the temperature that become, it became colder, so it's a very comfortable day. Yeah, so. It's, yeah, the same great. here. Yeah. I'm so glad the heat wave is over. Yeah. For now. Yeah. I don't know. Is it coming back? I don't know. I don't even want to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just look, I just noticed the acknowledgments. There's so many contributors to this work. It's fascinating. Yeah, we got uh, actually we we yeah we got helps from a lot of co-authors uh, co and our collaborators because they help us collect samples and give us suggestions. And yeah, there are also some uh, some local community members that also contribute to our study. So uh, if I have time, uh, maybe I will mentioned a little about our engagement of the local community in our study. So maybe let's see, let's see if I have some time. We would be happy to make time for that. That part is up to you. <laughs> <laughs> 
how much time you have for us. <laughs> Thanks. We can definitely accommodate that. <laughs> okay. This is one of the topics that it feels like a loss that we can't pass out popcorn, you know, before. <laughs> we need that feature in Clubhouse. We do. You know, one time I had, I did a room and it was one of my kids' birthday. I kind of mentioned it and um, a person in the room sent me, sent us cake from a bakery in New York City to our home from somewhere. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> That sounds so fun. So we could all send each other yeah, popcorn? Yeah, we could send each other popcorn. I don't know, is that popcorn when Uber eats? I don't know. Well, I often thought how cool it would be in the age of drone delivery if, you know, there's a special class of membership where at the beginning of the event, the drones just show up with snacks everywhere. Oh, yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> Oh, finally, a good use of drones, not just people. <laughs> Coordinated <laughs> delivery of snacks for remote events. <laughs> well, do you have the ro the little robot cars driving around where you live? Because when I was in Santa Monica at the outdoor mall, I had to jump out of the way because a little robot, it, it was the size of a little, um, you know, like a little wagon that you have when you're a kid. Or you pull a kid in like a oh, wagon. Yeah, you have those. Yeah. Huh? yeah, it was just, it's just, it just sped by and I had to get out of its way. <laughs> it, I felt like I was, I was, you know, the Jetsons. It was asserting right of way. <laughs> uh, okay. I think we can start. So, welcome everyone to the Science Society here today and a special welcome. To you, Chen Liu. I hope I said your name right. And to give everyone a little bit of um, some information or to introduce you to the audience a little bit, um, um, Dr. Um, Yu Chen Liu, uh, he's a postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Human Evolutionary Biology at Howard University. And he got his PhD in zoology at Peking University, China. Uh, and there he worked closely with Dr. Xu Jin Luo and Dr. Stephen O'Brien to investigate the evolutionary history and the natural adaptation of the tiger, panthera, tigris, and other felid species using, using present-day and ancient DNA data. Around two and a half years ago, he then joined Professor David Reichslab um, as a postdoc research fellow and he began there to use ancient DNA tools to understand the magnific 
recent population history of modern humans around the world. And uh, today we are going to hear a story about the prehistoric migrations of into Micronesia, a sub-region of Oceania, consisting of thousands of small islands in the northern part of the Pacific and the matrilocality of the early Pacific seafarers revealed by ancient DNA. So this is really an exciting role. I'm very happy that you came here and took the time. And before we start with your presentation, uh, Victoria usually asks a couple of interview questions, if that's okay with you. Okay, sure. Yuechen, thank you very much, and thank you, Katarina. So the questions are to bring us a little bit into the person behind the research and learn a little bit about you. So what I would like to know is when you can tell us if if you can remember, maybe as a child or any time in your life, that you noticed that you had an interest in science, something that, that first connected you and made you realize that science was something that you maybe not even that you wanted to pursue because maybe it was in childhood, but at any time that that was something that you were so interested in. Yeah, actually, uh, I lived in my, my, my family lived in a place that very near to a zoo, a zoo that my parents always take me to the zoo to, to see the animals and also the plants. So as as you see as you uh, yeah heard from uh Katarina that i have my phd in zoology that's why i select uh the biology and study the the, the animals in, in my early career so yeah i think that's that's the point that uh yeah that give me some ideas about what i want to do uh, now and in the future yes Thank you. That's fascinating. Um, I grew up near an art supply store that I went to every day. And I, I wondered, you know, and yeah, and so I am an art teacher. And you, you are you had this exposure to everything in the zoo. And, and um, yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. And then what can you bring us along um, maybe a path, a brief path of events that bring us to your research today, maybe a bit about your your studies and interests that led up to this point? Yeah, actually, uh, uh, yeah, I, at first I, uh, in my, during my uh, PhD, I um, focus on the uh, evolution history of animals, especially the I mean the uh, the fairy species like cats and tigers and and uh, golden cats from Asia, from Asia uh, a small <clears throat> a small body sized cats. So at that time I I learned some evolution history and also the natural adaptations of this species. And at that time I found that uh, the collections of the modern samples. I mean. Uh, collect this uh, the species uh, the specimens from the wild is very hard for also for the the for us the people who work in the lab or and in front of the computer or for the people who work in the in the wild so at that time we began to uh, collaborate with the uh, museums and zoos and they help us to 
collect samples for those uh, the from the remains and the bar uh, the the I mean the furs and the bones that collected in the in the zoo and also the museums. So that's that's a, a, an aspect of the field of ancient DNA, and that's why after my PhD, I come to uh, Professor Rex's lab. Uh, the lab is one of the, I mean, one of the lab who is very at the, at the top levels of ancient DNA field. So that's why I come here to learn and study the, I mean, the advances in this field. And I want to, I hope this will help me to, uh, to be an independent researcher in the future. Yeah. Thank you. Well, at this point, you're welcome to deliver your talk and we can have a Q&A following your talk or we can have questions along the way that drive your talk along. That's that's up to you. And sometimes friends in the audience will put questions in the chat and we can also share those with you so that you can just focus on um, your talk and your slides if you wish. And so the floor is yours. Yeah, thanks. And please do feel free to interrupt me Interrupt me if I do not explain something clear or, yeah, if you have any questions, I'm very happy to answer. So, yeah, let's, let's begin our today's uh, presentation. Uh, yeah, today I will focus on a story that uh, using our ancient DNA techniques to investigate the popular history of Micronesia, as they, as we mentioned in the introduction from Katerina, that Micronesia is a subregion from the northern part of the Pacific, which consists of thousands of small islands that uh, uh, occupied by modern humans around recent three thousand years ago. So, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, the field that of our uh, audience come from. So I want to start from the materials that we are working on in our lab. So if you come to the uh, second slide of our of my presentation, so you can see <clears throat> some pictures that we, uh, the materials that we deal with in our lab. So. What is ancient DNA? That ancient DNA is a study of DNA collected from biological specimens that live anywhere from hundreds to hundreds of thousands of years ago. That the ancient DNA is the DNA is that collected from specimens, uh, both from the animals or humans or plants that lived in the past. So in our lab, we focus on modern humans. So we uh collaborated with archaeologists. They help us to uh, collect samples from burials. And ideally, they can uh, see uh, very uh, uh, beautiful uh, burials that have human bones. So uh, we always, or it's ideally, we can collect it, some bones from cochlea. Uh, it's uh, there is a there's a figure that shows where the cochlea it is. So, yeah, and when we got the cochlea samples, we deal with them uh, in the clean room. We also call it ancient DNA lab. The ancient DNA lab room 
that is a room that with a positive air pressure, and the people who work in in the room that also wear the uh, masks and also gloves, uh, shoes covers and also the hair nets and also some uh, uh disposable lab coats. So this all these things, all the protection of the of the people who work in the lab is not for to protect the humans, but protect the samples. We do not intru- we do not want to introduce contaminants into the room and into the samples that we are dealing with. So after uh, we have the bones, we drill them into a small uh, specimens uh, that generally we extract the DNA from specimens like 50 milligram or more, 50 to 100 milligram uh, in weight. So uh, after we got the small specimens, we drill them into powders and we uh, wash the powders several times to uh, decrease the levels of contaminants uh, in the surface of the powders. So uh, the most uh, struggling issue of the uh, ancient DNA work is the contaminants. So what we want to get is the endogenous DNA from the samples, not the external DNA from either from microbes or from the people who is dealing with the samples. We do not want those contaminants. So we try our best to, to do several steps to uh, decrease the contamination levels of these samples. So uh, after we do some uh, purification of the bone powders, if you come to the third slides of the of my presentation, you can see we have a uh, we have how how we uh, uh how to we I mean how we make the bones how we start from the bones to uh generate the the DNA data the genetics data that we extract DNA from the powders after purification and we extract we constructed uh the uh, sequencing libraries. And we also, because the ancient DNA uh, fragments is very uh, short and fragmented, it's much, it has a very uh, bad co- quality compared to the, uh, uh, the DNA that extracted from the cells and the blood and the other materials from the modern humans, uh, for the modern um, specimens. So uh, a general uh, approach that we increase the courage of our, or increase the quality of our uh, endogenous DNA is that we use a technique called DNA SNP capture that uh, it contains about 1.2 million SNP sites, which are the single nuclear polymorphism sites that is this designed based on the human uh, reference genome. And we capture those fragments that contains this uh, SNP sites. And then we only sequence those fragments that will help us to increase the quality of our data. So some of you may uh, have some questions about why we use the cochlea bones but not other bones like teeth or like long bones from our legs or, or arms. Uh, actually, previous studies that from uh, different labs that have some 
comparisons between the results of extract DNA from different kinds of bones, and they found that the cochlear bones has the best quality of preserved the ancient DNA. And even in the cochlear bones, the different parts of cochlear bones uh, also have different levels of the uh, the preservations of the ancient DNA. So uh, the the take home message here is that the cochlear bones always have, I mean, always have the best quality of the preservation of the ancient DNA. So the uh, the attempts or the efforts that people would like to retrieve DNA from the biological specimens uh, from the remains or from the burials it started from the 2010 and but only in recent five to seven years the the amount of the ancient DNA data increased a lot we call it the boom of the ancient DNA data if you come to the first slide uh, you can see uh, a figure that uh, display the number of uh, ancient DNA data that generate for recent uh, 10 years. So, but we also find that there is uh, uh, an equal distribution of the generation of the ancient DNA data. You can see the, uh, the map in the slides, in the slides that uh, most of the ancient DNA data has come from the Europe and, uh, and Asia or like Siberia and China. Uh, but uh, from other continents of the world, like America or Africa or Oceania, there is not uh, many ancient DNA data generated. This is because that the Europe and the northern part, the, the East Asia, or has a relatively low average temperature and they have a drier, environmental conditions that can help the remains preserve better ancient DNA. But uh, recently, like the study we talk about today, uh, more and more uh, labs uh, try to retrieve the ancient DNA data from other places world. So I think in next a few years, you will see more studies from other places of the world, like Africa, like uh, America. So the next question comes to here. So uh, after we get the ancient DNA data in hand, what the ancient DNA data can tell us, or generally what an ancient DNA studies are focusing about. So if you come to the fifth slide, of my presentation, you can see uh, generally three kind of studies that we, uh, the ancient DNA field, uh, focus on. The first one in the largest scale, uh, the ancient study uh, can help us to understand the population history through the time. Uh, and then the ancient DNA study also can help us to investigate whether there is a, a local local population uh, replacement or population admixture or whether there is some genetic continuity in a population that's through time. 
So in the in a more smaller scale, in a smaller scale that ancient DNA studies also can tell us if a local community in the past are matrilocal or patrilocal, or the people they're living in the past are, are polyandry or polygamy, the social structure can of the of the prehistoric people or historic people can also investigate uh, using the ancient DNA technique. So come to the story that I want to uh, share with you today is that we are talking about the plate. Uh, we are talking about the region called Oceania. This is a map of Oceania. So based on different criterias, uh, the Oceania is always divided into different parts based on the uh, distance from from the islands to the uh, mainland. So the the Oceania divided into near Oceania and remote Oceania, and but based on different cultural uh, traditions or the different languages speak speaking spoken in different islands, that the Oceania divided into Melanesia, Polynesia, and Micronesia. But when we talk about the people in history here, there is contains and there there contains two uh, stage of uh, people in events that happen in this uh, area. That the first one happens in around uh, fifty thousand years ago. If you come to the uh, seven slides uh, of my presentation, you can see the where the first uh, wave of migration that uh, arrived in Oceania that uh, uh, arrived into. So we can see the first wave of uh, migration uh, happened around 50,000 years ago, arrived in island South Asia, uh, Australia, and also uh, the near Oceania, including the near Oceania, including the Malay New Guinea, the Bismarck Archipelago, and also the Solomon Islands. But the second wave of migration is happened in a much more recent time. Uh, the second one is the the one that we are talking about today, we call this we call the second wave of migration into Oceania. Uh, it's the uh, Austronesian expansion, which is related to the Austronesian speakers, that which is probably originated from Taiwan or the Philippines, uh, that come into the. Uh, Southwest Pacific region like Vanuatu, Fiji, and Caledonia. Uh, you can see the geographic orientation in the uh, in the slides in the in the eighth slides in the eighth, eighth page of my slides. So, uh, yeah, they arrive in the Southwest Pacific like Vanuatu, Fiji, and New Caledonia, and they also uh, arrive in the Polynesia. Uh, there is a famous uh, this is the famous Polynesia Triangle that like Hawaii, Rapa Nui, and the Easter Islands, and also the New, New Zealand. And also the Austronesia moved to the southwards, uh, to the Pacific. Uh, it's arrived in the Micronesia. This is the place that we are talking about today. And due to the uh, recent uh, advances in the archaeology, linguistics, and ancient DNA, also the genetic 
studies that the population history in the Southwest Pacific and Polynesia is uh, better known than the uh, northern part of the Pacific. So uh, that's why we uh, conduct this study and we study uh, and we, we investigate the public history there. So the first uh, evidence that uh, the first evidence of the I mean, the evidence of the first human presence in the Pacific, in the Southwest Pacific and Polynesia, is uh, associated with the uh, culture we call the, uh, associated with the pottery culture we call the Lapita. You can see the uh, some Lapita pottery figures in the uh, in my slides. So, uh, the Lapita pottery culture is a red fleet pottery widely uh, spread or founded in the or found in the uh, near Oceania islands like Bismarck's uh, the uh, and also it's it was widely found in some remote Oceania islands like uh, Tonga Samoa and also in the southwest Pacific part like Vanuatu Fiji and New Caledonia so our lab began to study the genetics of this Lapita people uh, from uh, several several years ago. Uh, in 2016, we published a paper that investigated the uh, genetic ancestry of the earliest Lapita people. The, uh, the samples is collected from Manmatu and Changa. Uh, the sample is dating to around uh, 3,000 to 2,500 years ago, and our genetic analysis shows that the, the earliest Lapita people, the people who buried at Lapita uh, sites or immediately post-Lapita sites, uh, derived from all their ancestry from East Asian population. They have closed genetic relationship with the people, with the modern people who is living in Taiwan and uh, Philippines. So Oh, these findings support the out-of-Taiwan model of the Austronesian expansion, which means uh, the, the model uh, says that the people, uh, the Austronesian speakers, start from a place uh, maybe in Taiwan or the Philippines and spread into the Southwest Pacific and Polynesia, but they do not get admixed with the people who is living in the near Oceania. If you remember that I have mentioned that the first wave of migration into Oceania has happened around 50,000 years ago, uh, that's the people who, uh, who I'm, I'm, that's the people who is the local people living in the near Oceania, like uh, New Guinea, Bismarck, uh, or the Salomons. We call these people, we call these people the Papuans. So we do not see any Papuan ancestry in the early Lapita people. Uh, but at the end of the Lapita period, uh, the migrations from the Bismarck people, the Bismarcks began, they also arrived to the Polynesian. So you can see, uh, it means if we see the genetic ancestry of the earliest Lapita people, they almost, they, Harbor 100% of East Asian ancestry, 
But if we see the people after immediately after the Lapita period, like the the Vanuatu people or the Polynesian people after uh, two thousand five hundred years ago, uh, you can see as high as ninety percent of their ancestry are from Papuans. It means there is a second or there is a second wave of migration from near Oceania, uh, mainly from the Bismarcks into the the Polynesia and Southwest Pacific region. So uh, if you see all the present-day people in the uh, Southwest Pacific region or Polynesia, almost all of them harbor like at least 25 to 30% of Papua ancestry. It means there it is because the second migration from Bismarck's to this region. Well, compared to the uh, Southwest Pacific and Polynesia, uh, there is no, uh, there is a li- only a little uh, research or evidence that uh, indicates some uh, scenarios of how people uh, occupied the uh, Macronesia region. Uh, the archaeologists think that some archaeologists think that the settlements. Uh, of the uh, Micronesia perhaps began slightly earlier than the Southwest Pacific and Polynesia because there is another kind of rathly pottery we call Mariana Redwares, uh, which is only found in the Mariana Islands uh, in the Southwest Pacific, uh, uh, sorry, in the Northern Pacific. And these uh, potteries uh, are thought to be the first uh, Human presence evidence uh, of the of this of this region, and this uh, potteries that uh, the earliest dates of this potteries is around three thousand five hundred years ago. So, uh, if you remember the Lapita potteries, it's a, it's about uh, three thousand years ago, so it's slightly earlier. Some archaeologists think, think that the occupation or settlements of the uh, Micronesia is like earlier than the Southwest Pacific and uh, and Polynesia. But we do not know where this uh, pottery culture come from and and uh, where the people uh, who brought this uh, potteries come from. So. Uh, the similar ceramics or similar pottery cultures uh, have been found in the Philippines and Sulawesi. So there is still some debates on where the first people f- uh, of the Macronesia come from. Some some people think they are, have a Philippine origin, but they come from the Philippines or the Taiwan, or some some others. Uh, think that they from they come from the more southern uh, region of the Indonesia, like uh, Walaysa or some other, like Sulawesi or or some other place. So this is the first question we want to investigate or we want to answer using some genetic data in our study that we want to know uh, where the first people of the Micronesia come from, whether they're from Philippines. Or they come from more southern place, a more southern part of the Indonesia, a more southern place of the South Southeast Asia, like Indonesia. So, uh, some ling- linguistics 
also uh, provides the some linguistic studies also provide some uh, clues that uh, about the evolutionary history of the people living in Micronesia. Uh, if you come to the uh, 13 page of the of my slides, you can see a linguistic tree on the left part of the of my slides. This is the analysis of the OD language that include into the Austronesian language family. You can see that all the uh, language spoken in Micronesia that belongs to the Malayo-Polynesian language family, uh, but the people, uh, but the language spoken in the Marianas we call Chamorros, and also the language spoken in the Palau we call Palauans, is belongs to the first split of the uh, Malayo-Polynesian family, which is different from the other all the other languages that are spoken in the other islands in Micronesia. So other languages from Micronesia, all of them are belongs to the Central Eastern Malayo-Polynesian family uh, language family, uh, except the uh, language spoken in Yarp. All the other Micronesian language uh, belongs to a small clade we call nuclear Micronesian language family. Uh, with this, this language group also contains the Polynesian family and some Polynesian languages and some languages spoken in the Southwest Pacific. So uh, this is the, uh, so the language evidence that uh, sort of consistent with previous uh, hypothesis that the Micronesia and Polynesia that have a very similar genetic history. So, but where is the uh, origin of this nuclear Micronesian language family is also debatable. Uh, debatable. Or there is uh, several hypotheses about the origin of this language group. Uh, if you can see a small map uh, in this slide, there are three hypotheses of the origin of the nuclear Micronesian language. Uh, one is from the uh, northern part of the mainland New Guinea, we call the Anamayati Islands. There are small islands in the in the northern in the northern fridge of the mainland New Guinea. And also there is uh, another hypothesis think that this this language is originated from the Salam Islands. And also there is another uh, hypothesis think that this language is originated from Vanuatu. So this hypothesis is also debatable. So the, an another question that we want to answer in our study is that whether this genetic data can help us to uh, trace back where is the uh, Micronesian languages come from and where is the uh, where is the uh, the people of the Micronesia come from? And also, if you see the tree, you can see a different uh, position or different location of the uh, language spoken in western part of the uh, Micronesia, like the Marianas and Palau, and and the language is spoken in the central eastern Micronesia. So we want to know. We also want to know whether this. Uh, this tree structures indicate some different uh, history in the western versus the central eastern part of Micronesia. 
whether our genetic data can tell us uh, or can uh, prove the, our uh, hypothesis. So, uh, and the other thing is that uh, some small islands or some atolls that in the uh, Micronesia that speak the Polynesian languages and also share some Polynesian traits. We call these small atolls like the Nuku'oro or Kapingamarangi. You can see a map in the uh, 14th page of my slide. Uh, we call these small islands uh, Polynesian outliers. The questions we want to investigate here is that this is the third question we want to a third question we want to know is that where this Polynesian culture come from? Uh, do, can we find some genetic, I mean genetic uh, relationship between some sp specific uh, Polynesian islands and with the uh, the Polynesian outliers in the Micronesia? And the fourth question we want to know is in, in our study, which is one of the uh, most interesting questions that we want to investigate in our in our research, is that uh, you can see some figures of, of the Lati pillars uh, in the 15th page of my slide. That uh, the Lati pillars is uh, some the Lati pillars is some stone pillars and with a that capstones or cup-shaped uh, capitals that uh, the cameras, the, the cameras uh, used to support their living buildings. You can see different types of lapis stones that uh, show in the figure. They have different size and different heights and, and different shapes. But uh, it's interesting that it, after like 1,000 and 100 BP, the Lati pillars uh, appeared uh, throughout the Marianas, but we do not see any Lati pillar structures outside of the Marianas. So the question here is that who brought, brought this uh, culture come to the Marianas? Is that, is that the local people who developed uh, this Lati pillar cultures uh, themselves or, or some people from other place? That take this this culture type into the Marianas. That this is the other questions that we want to know in our study. So to to answer the above questions, we collected uh, about uh, one hundred one hundred and thirty four ancient DNA samples, and also. Uh, 112 present-day samples across five islands in Micronesia from the western to central part. Uh, we have uh, some nice time transect of the samples, like from Guam, we have the earliest, uh, we have collected samples from the earliest people who is, in, who is occupied in these islands in, in Guam. It's dating to around 2,800 years ago. And also, we in Guam, we have collected some Lati, some Lati uh, period samples who is uh, constructed the Lati pillars and living that period. 
and we also collect some present-day chamberos from Guang that we can know uh, from this nice time transect. We can know if there is a population turnover or population genetic continuity uh, through the time in this island. We also have a small uh, time transect from Pompeii uh, in the recent 500 years ago, in the recent 500 years. And we also have some collected some present samples from Palau and Truk. And for the Saipan, the, uh, also the uh, one islands in the northern uh, Marina Islands, we only have the uh, prehistoric samples who, uh, who is living in the Latte period. We do not, we do not collect the uh, earliest people who is settling Saipan. But uh, based on uh, these samples, we can get a picture of popular history of the people living here. So the first step after we got the data is that we want to know the genetic structures of this of the of the sample of the of the of the individuals that we collected in our study, if you come to the uh seventeen page, uh yeah, if you come to seventeen page, we can see a plot with the we call the PCA plot. Each dot in this plot uh, represent an individual. Uh, we compared the individuals that uh we compared newly connect collected individuals from. The Micronesia to all the individuals, all the published data from the individuals in Oceania. So we calculate the PCs, the 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 axis, uh, using the uh, different using the different populations, and we then we can see a a, a genetic pattern that can guide us to. Uh, understand the population structure of Oceania. You can see uh, some dashed lines in, the, in this figure. Uh, and we actually, uh, these dashed lines represent different genetic clients, which means, uh, which means the genetic gradients of different people or different group of population. Uh, here is a small example. Uh, on the right side of the of the slides, if you if you can uh, imagine, there are uh, a set of populations who are derived from the same two uh, ancestral groups. Ancestral groups. One is uh, the one hundred percent Papua ancestry. Uh, one the other is one hundred percent East Asian ancestry. But the but their offsprings and the, but their offsprings have a different uh, percentage of the Papua ancestry and the East Asian ancestry. So if this is the case in the PCA plot, you can see uh, you can see this population that located in the same lines, but they they uh, they represent uh, different uh, levels of the mixture proportions. So we investigate, or we found two different clients in, in Oceania. One client represents the genetic variation in the Southwest Pacific 
and Polynesia. They connect the Polynesian populations, the Vanuatu populations from Southwest Pacific, and also they connect the Bis- uh, the, the Benning speakers from the Bismarck uh, Islands that represent, we call this Klai as the uh, Polynesian Klai. And also, we also recognize another class which links the mainland New Guinea, the coastal area of New Guinea. I'm in, I mean, the New Guinea uh, groups, the, the people living in the New, mainland, mainland New Guinea uh, can briefly divide into the highland New Guinea, New Guinea highlanders, which is living in the highlands region of the mainland New Guinea and also the coastal area of New Guinea. So the, the second client links the mainland New Guinea highlanders and the coastal New Guinea people and also the the other people from Micronesia. So from this plot, we know that the people from Polynesia and Southwest Pacific versus the people in, from Micronesia have different or have different types of Papua ancestry. One is come from the Bismarcks and the other is come from mainland New Guinea. And also on the other side of the climb, on the on the right side of the climb, uh, there is uh, they links the a group of uh, green pots. All of these are, fr- are from uh, the earliest people that who is occupied in the uh, Oceania, like Lapita people from Manuatu and Tonga, and also the Wunai people, the earliest people that living in the Marianas. So actually this class indicates all the all the populations from Oceania are admixed by different uh, sources of population or different ancestral population. The Polynesian population and Vanuatu or the other other population from Southwest Pacific are admixed from a banding speaker the ancestor of the banding speaker Spanish speaker groups from the Bismarcks and the first remote Oceania, we like the Lapita uh, people, and the Micronesia group are mixed by the mainland New Guinea, the ancestor of the mainland New Guinea, and also the the first remote Oceanians like uh, like Lapita or the Wunai people. So. This is our observation in the PCA plot. So then we conduct some statistical methods to confirm our hypothesis. That you can, if you come to the uh, 18 page, you can see we use a statistics method called F statistics. This is a method developed by our lab. That this method is used to compare uh, if two population are symmetrically related to one population. So by using this method, you can distinguish the different genetic ancestry within uh, within uh, population group. So you can see the people who live in uh, Micronesia and Polynesia are located in different clients, which means they have different kinds of Papua ancestry and also uh, they, have, they have different East Asian ancestry.
So the next step, we want to know how many percent of the uh, SS3, uh, I mean, we want to know the admixture percentage or mixture proportions of the genetic ancestry of different population around the Oceania. So we compare the uh, populations from Oceania uh, to uh, the population uh, all over the world. So we found uh, five types of different ancestry that widely uh, spread in Oceania. If you, you come to the um, 19 page of my slides, we can see we find two kinds of East Asian ancestry uh, and also three kinds of purple ancestry throughout the Oceania region. So in the Micronesia, you can see they have two, uh, they both have the uh, Unai or Latiguang related East Asian, East Asian ancestry and Lapita related ancestry. And they also they have the, the but they only have the uh, mainland New Guinea related Papa ancestry, but which is different from the the thing the the scenarios that we observe in the Polynesia and Southwest Pacific. In the Southwest Pacific and Polynesia, they only have the Lapita ancestry and another kind of a Papa ancestry, which is combination of the uh, ancestry from the uh, Bismarcks and uh, Salmons and also the mainland New Guinea. So we also, in the next step, we, after we know the general mixture patterns of this population, we calculate the specific proportions of how many percent of the ancestry is come from the Papua sources and how many percent is from the East Asian sources. So here we come I think the, the the most interesting point, the most interesting point we found here is not the actual percentage of the ancestry, but but the things that we found, the the East Asia, the East Asian ancestry, are mostly come from the females, and the Papua ancestry is mostly come the males. It means that the mixture between the uh, the East Asian, East Asian ancestry and Papua ancestry in Micronesia is due to the male expansion, the Papua male's expansion into the uh, Micronesia region. So, but here we cannot know, there's one thing that we can now know due, using this approach is that what is the uh, source of the East Asian ancestry in Palau, because we can both use the uh, the earliest uh, people who live in Guang, like we call Unai people in Guang, as the sources of the East Asian ancestry in Palau, but we can also use the Lati people that uh, as the sources to model the present day people in Palau. So we constructed a more a comprehensive model of the uh, evolutionary history of Micronesia. Uh, if you come to the 21 page, uh, you can see a tree life graph, we call uh, a mixture graph, that uh, it can give us some uh, more details about the evolutionary history of the uh, Micronesia. Here is the most interesting 
find findings here is that we found actually not two but three lineage of the first remote Oceanians. One is related to Lapita culture, we call this first remote Oceanians of West Pacific, and the other is and another is called uh, we call it first remote Oceanian. Marianas, which is related to the earliest people in Guam. And also, we found a third lineage that we call the first remote Oceanian Palau, which is contributed to the East Asia ancestry in present-day Palau, and also contributed to the East Asia ancestry of the Lati people in Guam. This is the things that we cannot find using previous method, but by using this method, we can uh, distinguish different sources of uh, of the genetic ancestry, and we also modeled the admixture time that when this admixture events happen. So we found that actually there are uh, more than I think there are four types of different. Uh, a mixture happen throughout uh, uh, Oceania. As, as I mentioned before, if you see the present-day people all around Oceania, except the people, except present-day Chamorros, uh, sorry, except the present-day Chamorros, almost all the present-day populations from Oceania have, have the East Asian ancestry and also have Papua ancestry. But they come from different uh, pair of source populations. Uh, but you can see here some estimates of the mixture time. Uh, they are very similar. They, almost all of them come from uh, the, the dates is around 2,500 years ago to, uh, I mean, 1,600 years ago. I know this is a large range, but our estimates shows that different mixture events that happen around the similar time. This is this is a very interesting finding that in in our study. Uh, this may indicate a radiation expansion or radiation of dispersal of the people uh, living in that period uh, that occupying that rapidly occupy different islands in the ocean. Uh, if you remember that we, I have mentioned there is a question that that we want to know is where the Polynesian ancestry come from. Uh, we use uh, the same uh, method that we described before to distinguish the Papua ancestry and the East Asian ancestry. We use this method to investigate where the Pop the Polynesian ancestry come from in the uh, Micronesia. We think the Polynesian ancestries come from the Polynesian outliers uh, near the Salomon Islands, like the like the ancestors from the uh, Tikopia or or the Anto Java Islands from the Polynesian outliers. So uh, yeah, and the this is the other. Uh, if you come to the uh, twenty four uh, page of my slide, this is. Another uh, interesting thing that we have found in our study is that we try to 
uh, to study whether or to investigate whether the uh, the early Pacific sea uh, fossils are matrilocal, patrilocal. Actually, previous archaeology or uh, or anthropology studies tell us that the uh, earliest Pacific Islanders are matrilocal. So this is also observed or this is also supported by our observations in the mitochondrial DNA haplotype of the uh, the earliest Pacific Islanders. Uh, here I I just compared the Lapita people that who is occupied in Vanuatu and Tonga and and also the Unai people, the earliest people who is uh, occupied the Guam. We see different almost completely different mitochondrial haplotype in Lapita people and uh, Unai people, uh, which means they probably derive from the different uh, ancestral maternal lineage uh, from, the, uh, from their ancestral population. So uh, before, yeah, I'm not sure if any if if uh, if everyone here is uh, understand what is matrilocality. Sorry, I forgot to uh, explain this. But matrilocality is a role that or, or a social structure that a woman uh, remains in her mother's household household after reaching maturity and brings her husband to living with her family after marriage. But and the sons in a in a, in a family, move out of their uh, household after marriage to, to join their wife's household, which is different from matrilocality uh, in, a, in, a, in a converse situation. Uh, in the, the prehistoric society structures in Eurasia, most of them, or many of them, are patrilocality. But in the Oceania, most of these societies, uh, or most of the uh, structure is the material quality. So here we conducted uh, simulations, uh, mass simulations to to uh, see or to uh, to investigate the uh, to to find the genetic evidence that support the earliest Pacific Islanders and material quality. Uh, this is means all. Uh, but I, I, after we um, do these simulations, I, I do not want to explain the details about simulations, but uh, the simulation results tell us only based on random, randomly genetic drift, we cannot, we, or we very hard to see this kind of completely different mitochondrial haplotype in different groups, like we see the E1 and E2 have a group in Unai people in Guang and we, we see before hepatite in the Lapita people. So the simulation results support or tell us that this is it must be because of some other region reasons that make the different uh, make the mitochondrial hepatite groups in different uh, existed in different early Pacific Islanders. So, uh, so the take-home message here is that our simulation studies or our, our simulation method is also supported 
it suggests that the earliest specific islanders are much locality, uh, have a much local structure. So we also, if we come to the 25 page, we can see the burial maps. There are burial maps in Atang beach sites in Guang and Anaguan sites in Saipan. Uh, we have we detected a lot of uh, relatives, uh, the first degree, uh, second degree, or third degree relatives in our uh, samples, which means that uh, many of the individuals that in our studies have uh, have uh, have a relatively close uh, kinship uh, relationships. So, in a summary, if you come to the uh, twenty sixth page. Uh, in a summary, we, we find five, actually five streams of migration that uh, helps to uh, establish the people that we see in Micronesia present uh, today. So uh, the first one and the second one is related to East Asian ancestry. And uh, the third one is also related to East Asian ancestry, but is associated with the Lapita pottery culture, which is also uh, existed in the Southwest Pacific and Polynesia. Uh, the first migration is associated with the Papua ancestry, but it's different from the ones that existed in the Southwest Pacific Polynesia. The, the one that exists in Micronesia is related to the mainland New Guinea Highlanders. So, and the fifth one, the fifth one, the is the migration related to the Polynesian speakers, probably from the Polynesian Islanders near the Solomon Islands. So, yeah, here is the here is the end of my talk, and and I want to special give special thanks to all the collaborators and also the ancient and present day people who were the source of the samples that we analyzed in this study, and. Thanks for your time for listening, and I'm very happy to take any questions. Thank you so much for this wonderful presentation and going over um, all this data sets with us. Uh, for us, it's, um, it's so fascinating. So thank you so much. And um, I know that Katie has a lot of questions, so uh, I want to give Katie the opportunity to ask her question. Thank you, Katie, for coming. Hello, it's Katie. Thank you so much for an amazing presentation. Um, really encourage everyone to look at the papers and the presentation. Um, and I'm so sorry that I missed the first bit. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being here and welcome to Clubhouse. <clears throat> so, um, Unfortunately, I missed the first bit, and um, from what I can gather from um, your paper and also your presentation, that you are collecting um, samples from a certain part of um, of a body. And I'm just wondering, as someone that works in genetics and genomics myself, however, I'm more of an animal geneticist, um, I have a lot of trouble with preserved samples. So if something is fixed in formalin or something like that in a museum, um, I'm wondering if you have had to, and again, I see in your presentation that you usually, <clears throat> excuse my voice, thank you. Um, 
that you know you usually uh, collect samples from archaeological sites. Um, I'm just wondering if you've had to deal with museum preserved samples or fixatives at any point. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, actually, we uh, always uh, deal with some museum samples. Actually, some uh, most of the samples from from this study is collected from the Guang Museum. That uh, from the help of our uh, collaborators, uh, the two collaborators, Rosalind and Joanne, they, they help us to uh, contact the museums and uh, collect uh, the some the bone samples from museums specimens. But sex uh, to the preservation, the, I think they can help us to in the Guang Museum of the samples of this study can can come from the cochlear part of the bones that the ones that we we think has the best quality of data. So, uh, but sometimes, or sometimes the situation is not so uh, good. Um, like some of the uh, samples in our, in our lab is come from the teeth or, or from the long bones from legs or, or arms because you cannot always find the cochlear samples from the barrels. Or from the museum collections, so uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's fortunate that in this study we can get a better quality of samples. I was just going to say thank you so much for your answer, um, and I'm sure <laughs> it's a little bit easier working with um, vertebrate. Um, human bones than yeah. um, elasmobranchs yeah. or fish that I work with. Um, thank you very much. Sorry, Serena, go ahead. Oh, no, no. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the cochlea had, was was highlighted as a, um, a more reliable sample source. Um, but I was, I was really fascinated. Uh, it's a wonderful study and it's amazing data. I've always been fascinated in um, the aspects of you know what what drives um, what drives a group to leave and and in this study and in these cases these are vast distances over you know potentially treacherous waters mm -hmm. where you know skilled navigation would be required if not you know amazing luck um, I'm and I'm curious, um, the story that you've painted is that there was all kinds of these events, all kinds of migrations, and it's a complex tapestry of, um, you know, of, of these radial expansions, but there's different potteries that work in, there's different linguistic aspects in it, and it's, it's an amazingly complex story. I'm, I'm wondering um, if you could comment more on um, you know, the aspects of what, what components of either cultural or genetics that, that drives these expansions. And, um, and it's just such a curious thing that, uh, I mean, were there, was there a, 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 you know, a tradition of, of maps and how well known the areas were, or, you know, is there a decision where we're going to hit these islands or, um, is it were there just you know so many untold failures and few successes or 
I mean, I'm curious. Could you comment more on that if you can? Yeah, uh, actually, I'm also very curious why uh, I mean the people living in several thousand years ago who can travel such a long distance from from mainland South Asia to these small islands. I talked to this uh, with our collaborators uh, about why, I mean, what the drives of the, of the motivation of the people who come to these small islands. The, uh, some of our collaborators think they might be due to the sources or the resources they, they live on, like, uh, like foods or the other sources they need to live in that period of time. But, uh, Actually, uh, I do not have a very clear answer for for a question, but I assume that the the living resources is one of the one of the important reasons that let the people let this let this uh, prehistoric people travel such a long long distance to occupy or arrive these small islands. It was also fascinating that this is a predominantly natural local structure to the society. And I'm wondering what, what components would, uh, would be in play there for, that would drive radial expansions. Um, is it a sta <laughs> stable family structure or disagreements with the mother-in-law? What, whatever, you know, cultural factors might be at play or is it something um you know much more uh, at a higher level in the culture that uh out of um you know you mentioned resource scarcity that would drive these expansions uh or is it more exploratory i mean it's, it's just it's unclear how answerable these questions are but it's such a fascinating thing to ponder yeah I agree, but yeah, I think I need to get more materials to see uh, how can I answer this question. But yeah, I, actually, there is uh, there are some uh, studies that uh, simulate the, the migration routes of these islanders that where they they use which routes or they use which path that's to. Uh, arrived to these islands or from the Philippines or from Indonesia, which is very interesting. But uh, I think uh, there is not a very uh, conclusive uh, answer about why and what drives the, the what, what are the drives or what are the reasons, major reasons that, that motivate these people in that period too. And, and, and lastly, um, I saw Victoria, I saw you on mic, just let me get one more in. Um, the technology of the navigation, uh, is it is anything known on, um, or you know, preserved to date, uh, how, how accessible these other islands were to navigate, both in terms of seaworthiness and the boats that would be constructed in the, um, we're talking 2300 2,500 years ago, um, yeah. versus just navigation by the stars or whatever, what other methods? Was it? Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm not sure, but yeah, it's fascinating because the people, the Austronesian speakers not only occupy the Pacific Islands, but they also occupy the other 
side of the world, like the Madagascar near Africa. So it's also a long, it's also a long journey. So, but but I don't know about the navigation stuff. So in that period, I'm sorry about that. Well, thank you. Fascinating work. Yeah, Yuai Chen, thank you so much. I'm I'm going to somewhat collaborate with Serena, although I, I hear your answer, but maybe our overall question or the overall message could be to you that that you've inspired us so much and our minds now have so many more questions than we did even after we read the title of your work. So I what I was wondering is, is if there had been any cross-referencing with indigenous wisdom with respect to the migration patterns and also um, thinking that the the existence of the technology of the the crafts that they were using this, the boats mm -hmm. it would that would that imply that there that there was more of a cultural basis and maybe even um a genetically um not excuse me not genetically environmentally um the environmental pressures that would influence that genetic basis for the migration uh, yeah that's a good question but uh i didn't i mean um uh, actually we do not know uh the exactly i mean the exactly time period of the when this migration happened but uh, so I do not clearly see the uh, evidence from climate or environment of the uh, uh, of this region, but we know that uh, one one of the interesting thing we found in our study is that if you remember that we uh, estimate some administrative events, uh, administrative times from different sources of population, and we found that a mixture of events that in happened in the Shukan Pompeii, which is in central part of Micronesia, is the time, is the similar time have have the similar time that the archaeologists find the earliest evidence that people living there. So I'm not sure if there is uh, the mixture events uh, itself is is a uh, it's a motivate that it's motivate factors that can help people to to arrive to a new or unoccupied islands. But uh, yeah, sorry, I'm not. I'm, I do not have much, very much knowledge about the the, the environment conditions in that period. So I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, please. No, we can only thank you because just uh, hearing some information that generates a question in our minds is is enough. You know, that's the goal, right? We're here because we're passionate about science and, and scientific thought. And that's what we want to share. And that's what you're sharing with us. So we only only have appreciation for you. Thank you so much. Hi, I have a comment. Um, it's not quite so much a question, but I just think it, it makes you think. Um, I, I know some time ago I read stories of the um, Norse explorers and um, people like Leif Erikson and so on. And the interesting thing is that in their case, they written records. And so you can kind of get a sense of what might 
you know, motivate people, you know, like people within a particular communicate community fighting with each other, plus the resources and, and the methods they use to navigate. So at least in that case, there's some, you know, historical record of it. Just just a comment. Anyway, thanks very much for your presentation. I'm sorry I missed quite a bit of it. I'm done. Thank you, Thank you so much. Uh, hi, uh, thanks uh, for uh, sharing this uh, wonderful um, research with the uh, Science Society. The I have uh, uh, two questions. The uh, one is the on the cochlea uh, mm -hmm. being the uh, more reliable uh, genetic uh, information source. Uh, what uh, among the uh, your colleagues? What uh, what are the conjectures? Why is it? So, or is there already scientific uh, uh, understanding? Uh, my guess is, uh, could it be that uh, because the cochlear structure is so, it's much smaller and uh, comparing to say leg bones and uh, so that the genetic information is more condensed in a way. And also because the skull uh, bones are somehow relatively better preserved for some reason. That's one question. That's... Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think the uh, the cochlear bones is the best uh, uh, is the best materials of the actually. Uh, uh, I think it's interesting that when we uh, compare the. Uh, because most of our samples uh, come from uh, adult individuals, mature individuals, not from a child individuals. But uh, the previous study in our in our lab that we found that actually uh, for the uh, for the younger people, for the people from in the child, the teeth would be the best materials that collected HNDA. So I think. The cochlea, which is the, which is relatively, uh, good materials that we collect actually is because the uh it's in the, it's it's in the inner parts of the uh of the bones of the of in, in of the head, so it's may not very influenced by the environmental conditions is and, and it's uh it will be preserved better uh endogenous DNA. That's my that's my guess, but. Uh, but for the child, maybe the the teeth is, uh, is better. It is because it's also in the in the development stage of the of the upper body. So, so it depends. But but for for most case of the adult individual, for mature individual, the cochlea is the best. I I'm not sure if I answer your question, but yeah, because I do not do much work in the lab. But I this is my best guess of the of the uh the cochlea samples and that's that's the things i i remember from my lab colleagues sure and thanks for for that sharing uh it's interesting uh the uh, my second question is the in your field of uh study I, i'm curious how the uh, what activities or you know what what is the, what is it like to being a researcher in this field, uh, do, do you need to actually physically visiting the field 
say uh, uh, yeah, to to these uh, uh, islands, or um, oh, how often, or if just just curiosity. Yeah, yeah actually, uh, uh, the major work of my uh, in this study is the uh, analyst, but I also, but generally. Uh, the people uh, like us also visit the field who we, we always contact with the archaeologists. We want to uh, keep connection with them because we uh, we want to let them know how the, the best way, I mean, we want to them know the best way to help us to collect the samples because uh, you, the best way to collect samples is that when you start to collect them, you need to minimize the contamination level, or you you want to you want to let them know which part of the bones is the best one for the ancient DNA studies. The other thing is that we come to the field or come to the these islands uh, to do some local community engagement, which means we want to share our results or we want to share our findings or both the preliminary ones or the or the mature ones to the local communities that to tell uh, what our interesting findings and get their feedbacks. Actually, in our studies, we in this paper or in this studies, we uh, have two rounds or thir- three rounds of uh, local community engagement in different stage of our uh, in our research. The first one is that in the preliminary research, we have a a very uh, preliminary patterns of our data, and we we talk to the local community members, and uh, at that time is still, it's, I think it's still in the COVID, so uh, in in very so we do this virtually, but uh, a few months ago we come we go to the uh, Pacific Summit uh, conference, which is a conference happened in Guam. So we go to that place that, uh, to present our findings to the local community and collect the feedbacks and to uh, revise our study and some uh, results or descriptions of our, of our uh, findings and to try our best to let the local community people know what we are doing and what they can know from our studies. Yeah, we are not the ones that are only in the lab. But but we, if we have chance or if we have some, uh, if there is needs, we will go to the field and we will go to the the place that we we are studying about. Well, thank you for the question. It's definitely more with the field trips. It's definitely more you know better than yeah. I would think. You know, mathematicians just stay <laughs> shut in yeah. in a dark room. Thank you. I have a question, if I may. Yeah, hi, it's Katie. I was just about to say, we've got Nicole, Nabil, Lara and Kirko. I know that Nabil had an amazing um, question in the chat too. So, Nicole, please go ahead, love. would love to hear from you. Thank you. Um, I came to the room very late, so I apologise if you've already addressed this. But uh, were your findings based on the DNA very different from the uh the cultural stories the anecdotal stories of how 
um, people had migrated throughout um, Polynesia, Micronesia, etc., or did it reinforce what people already thought had happened? So, I'm, if I understand right, uh, your question is: Was the difference that of our findings and compared to previous findings, or is that right? Or yeah, so comp compared to say social, anthropological, um, cultural information that had been passed down about about how people migrated, did the um, the DNA dispute the like the law l o r e um the stories or did it confirm the stories okay yeah actually the uh i think i, I can take one example one example of our studies is that uh previously uh people think the archaeologists or the anthropologists or linguistics thinks that the micronesian uh, Micronesia and Polynesia that were similar with each other, but actually, uh, after our genetic research, uh, we found that they are totally different. Uh, the only the only the only similar thing is that they the people living there ha have both East Asian ancestry and Papua ancestry, but the sources or the ancestors of this ancestry is different. It's totally different in these two different area. Uh, so uh, that's the one thing that we, uh, that's the one thing that we found uh, differently from previous observations from archeology span and uh, linguistics. The other thing is that uh, previously studies, uh, some of them, some of studies think that the, uh, the the uh the people who occupy the Marianas, the first people who occupy Marianas Islands and the the Polynesia are the same peoples, but in our study we 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 find that they are different, and also we found a third lineage of people that who is occupied the Palau, which is also another another lineage of these nations. But uh, unfortunately, due to our current data, we do not know. The exact, uh, I mean, the exact uh, sources of this population, where they come from, and what the what the sources of this uh, we call the first remote oceanians. But if in the future we can collect more samples from Southeast Asia islands, so maybe we can investigate this question uh, in a diverse way. Yeah, but Thank most you. of the but most of the findings of our, I mean, but some of the findings of our paper is consistent or support our support previous observation. Not totally uh, turnover, but but some are different, and some are some are the same. Hi, Yuchen. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to listen to your presentation. Uh, very exciting work that you're doing. Um, I had a question, a clarifying question. I was just wanting three of your collaborators on this particular project and related projects have been cultural anthropologists. Sorry, what was what's the question? I, 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 can't, I didn't hear clearly. Sorry about that. No worries. Can you repeat so, again? 
My question is how many of your collaborators on this project and related mm -hmm. projects have been cultural anthropologists? Okay, yeah. Actually, uh, take my own study, this study, for example. We have 40 co-authors in our paper, and more than half, more than, more than half are the anthropologists and archaeologists who help us to collect samples and and do and help us to review or, or give our comments about the backgrounds on linguistics or anthropology or archaeologists. Actually, our field is very depends on the collaborations that from the anthropologists and the archaeologists. Without them, we cannot get the samples. We cannot know the uh, that we want to investigate using the genetic data. So, so the collaborations with, with archaeologists and anthropologists is very important in our field. Great, thank you for clarifying. Mm -hmm. I think that's everything for now. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, Professor. Um, my question is about more on the ancient uh, DNA side. Um, so, did, can you comment at all about what percentages uh, or any differing percentages of um, ancient DNA you found with regards to lineage from the, the Denisovans and um, Neanderthal, other uh, human species, um, and even the the, the lost species, the so-called lost species? Um, any any comment on that? Thanks. Yeah, uh, actually, the Denisovan and Neanderthal is the archaic humans, uh, which is. Uh, close relative to modern humans, but it's totally different lineage. And actually, all the, uh, I mean, uh, the people, the people in Oceania, like uh, the Papuans and the, uh, and the some people in the uh, near Oceania have hovered around 2% uh, or around 2% or so uh, percentage of their ancestry from Venezuelans, but and all the and like the people from uh, Indo Indonesia also have some percentage of the ancestry from Venezuelans, but they because because of they have a mixture from Papuans, so uh, yeah, so the uh, we do not estimate the exact percentage of the uh, Venezuelan ancestry in our mechanism samples, but uh, because they, because all of them, almost all of them have Papa mixtures, I think they will have a very little amount of Papa's, uh, a very little amount of Denisovan ancestry introduced by the Papa mixture. I hope this answers your question. Mm -hmm. Hi, it's Katie. Just wanted to make sure that Kirko and Kyle and Golden have um, a chance to speak as well. But firstly, I just wanted to check in, Professor. Um, I know that we've been speaking for over an hour. Um, I just wanted to check in with your time because I know that I think Dennis as well has another question. So just wanted to check in with your time schedule. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I think I, I, can, I can answer one more question. Or, so, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Who wants to go next? Uh, please flash your microphone, Dennis. Thank you. Thanks so much for your talk, Dr. Chen. Um, I was looking at the
the paper. And I was curious when you were doing your purification process, what uh, would you be able to tell us what reagents you used in that process? A little bit more about those methods. I'm always really curious about the methods section. Oh yeah, you mean the purification of the uh, the samples? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some oh, I think if I remember right, uh, we use uh, because I. I'm not the one who is dealing with the wet lab stuff, but uh, if I remember right, this this some um, like alcohols and also some other solutions. You may find the protocols in the reference of the of our paper. I think uh, we have a we have published the the full protocols of how we deal with the ancient DNA samples that in you know lab website. You can easily find it. Yeah. Excellent. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, that that's that's great. I'll definitely look at that. And just quickly, mm -hmm. what is the? I'm trying to wrap my head around the time frame of these observations. Mm -hmm. What what uh, you know, what's the time frame? Is it five over span of five thousand, ten thousand, one thousand? Okay. The time frame of this study is around three thousand years, uh, from the the earliest people who occupied the Oceania, like three thousand years ago, and the present day, and to the present day. Thank you. Very interesting. And thank you so much for, for all of your answers to, and being with us this evening. Thank you. Thank you. It's very, it's my pleasure to, to do this in this platform and talking to you all. Yeah. Uh, Kirko, did you have a question? I think Kirko is next, right? Please correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> That's correct. Um, I don't have any questions right now. Um, I didn't want to uh, like ask anything because I kind of missed most of it, um, and I'm like in the middle of trying to write a um, SOP. I just want to kind of join to see what you guys are talking about. I bet though. Well, thanks for being here, um, Kyle, um, and then Golden and Ed. You had the question. Yeah, I I did. I'm not very smart on this stuff, but uh, he's talking about a specific area, but I'm just wondering, has the DNA been able to trace back to Africa? And uh, how did the Ice Age, and when did that happen? That would, uh, well, that would be, be, yeah, the Ice Age changed the uh, conditions of uh, the migration later on. Yeah. Uh, actually, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Sorry about my interruption. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I just, just basic questions. I always get confused. You know, we can go back so far and uh, I'm not sure how accurately we could go back to the uh, Great Migration or if there was other areas that uh, uh, humans were before the African Migration or it's all, what I hear, it's basically all from Africa, like what, 200,000 years ago? When I, you know, going around the land masses. That makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, actually, uh, about the DNA from Africa, actually, recent in recent one, I think in this year uh, or, or last year, there's uh, some papers about ancient DNA from African began to come out, but the sample size is very small, like five or six people uh, in different area 
of Africa, because as you know, the Africa environmental condition the temperature is very hard for for DNA preservation. So, but I think people there is actually is uh, I think at least in my in my lab in our lab there is some projects uh, related to the Africa area. I I hope in in the following years you can you can see more papers from Africa uh, come out from our lab and also the other lab in the world that focus on the uh, the early stage of of human uh, evolution. Uh, yeah, there because in the African area we focus on different topics uh, of the human evolution. Well, for example, like whether they they have more uh, mixture from some archaic humans like the Denisovan and Neanderthals, which is a little different from the relatively recent stage of the human migration, like my project in recent three thousand years ago. So uh, it's a different uh, time frame or time scale, but uh, I think more and more studies in that area will come out in the recent. Oh, the thank you. Yeah. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, I looked at your paper. Uh, uh, just uh, I don't know how is uh, you extracted the DNA, the method for extraction of the DNA, and how you did uh, the sequencing. Uh, did you use it? Uh, do you use it uh, next generation sequencing or single sequencing in order to build wide genomic data? <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, uh, we uh, you we extract DNA from the uh, bone specimens, uh, like using the uh, ancient DNA uh, extraction method, uh, and we actually we. With the data is from the next generation sequencing. Uh, we use we construct the extract DNA construct libraries and do some capture procedures, which means we uh, just uh, select some fragments of the DNA uh, of the genome that we want to we want to know uh, some specific SNPs of in the genome that can help us to investigate the history of humans. That yes, it's the gener next generation sequencing, not the younger sequencing. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> My next question is that uh, if you use the next generation sequencing in order to uh, build uh, wide uh, genomic data, uh, why uh, uh, don't uh, you use it epigenetics in order to uh, to know the uh, exact phenotype? Uh, <clears throat> Why uh, uh, these phenotypes are common among the uh, this specific the epigenetics? Uh, epigenetics, okay. uh, like DNA methylation, uh, oh, ubiquitination, yeah. uh, because uh, in the most uh, newest research, we see that uh, DNA is not related to most of the uh, diseases and uh, the sequence of the DNA is not related to the most of the diseases. Uh, for example, uh, now uh, it's revealed uh, that many well, research revealed that. We are not, we are not 
talking about diseases and this goes a little bit away from the topic and it's really the last couple of minutes we have so um okay thank you thank you hi it's katie i just wanted to say thank you so much for being here professor really really appreciate your time thank you katarina and all the um science society crew for hosting you um just wanted to you know reiterate you're saying that you use um snips or snps and for anyone that doesn't know that's single nucleotide polymorphisms um, that are generated on next generation sequencing platforms. I know some some of us geneticists get into a bit of um, jargon that people don't understand. So just wanted to reiterate it. And um, as you said too, everything is in the papers and in the um, in the presentation that is pinned at the top of the room. Um, again, thank you so much for coming to Clubhouse. We really hope we can have you back. Um, I know that we've had so much interest in this room and I know some people popped in at the end and really want to listen to the replay and excited for it. But um, I would also love to know, do you have any social media or um, lab website or anything platforms that we can um, make sure that we follow along on your journey? Because um, I'm sure so many of us are so excited to hear about what you're up to in the future. And um, and then I'll turn it back to Katarina after. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um... Okay, thank you so much um, for, again, for, uh, did you, I, I'm sorry, was I interrupting maybe my, I think I have the red bar, sorry. I could hear you. UHN, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? Katie was asking you. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you can follow us. Uh, you you can follow us, uh, my work and uh, our lab's work in our lab website. You can you can just search like Rec Lab Harvard University, then you will see our lab website, and you will see the. I mean the. Uh, we will update our research from different area of the world, not only from the Pacific but all but all, all over the world from America, Africa, Europe. And other places, so uh, yeah. Uh, but and I'm very happy to come here. And if I have more uh, fascinating research findings, I'm very glad to give another. I mean, panel discussion here. Thank yes, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate that. And um, yeah, please, uh, if you, I know a lot of people had more questions. You can reach out to me. And I'll, you know, if I'll try to also answer them or maybe pass them along. And yeah, thank you so much. And we thank you so much that you took so much time to answer all of our questions. And uh, yeah, this was an amazing discussion. So uh, we really appreciate it. And we wish you all the funding and all the luck <laughs> to continue with your research. And um, yeah, thanks again. And thanks everyone and the audience and everyone to come up here and contribute to the discussion here, asking questions. We really appreciate it. And um, if you like discussions like these, um, uh, follow the club. Tomorrow we'll have 
Dr. Richard Gu talking about artificial microtubules to uh, transport cargos uh, at 2 p.m. EST. And then on Friday, we will have also at 2 p.m. EST, Dr. Bishishia uh, talking about his newest quantum research results and um, of his colleagues and how um, quantum consciousness theories kind of a collapse based on the lab results that they have and yeah we'll have uh, more rooms next week and um, so yeah thank you so much uh, and yeah of course a special thanks to you Yin Chen and um, I hear you all back soon hopefully <laughs> thank you so much it's very nice to talk here Okay, I'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye, everyone.